0: My name is Mira Mikosik, and I'm the founder of Simple Chic. Uh, Joining me in conversation today to talk about all things about women's wardrobes, stories, experiences, and memories is Annie Robinson, Robinson, my apologies, uh, from Stitch for Good. Hello, Annie, and thank you for joining us today. Hi, Mira. No worries at all. Thank you for having me. (laughs) Excellent. Uh, Would you like to actually just start, Annie, by sharing uh, with us a little bit about Stitch for Good?
1: Uh, Yeah, so I started Stitch for Good about a year ago. Um, I make sewing patterns for home sewers. So, yeah, all sorts of sort of basic styles and things. People can pick their own fabrics and change change it up to suit their style and size and things like that.
0: fantastic so I look forward to actually just asking you a little bit more about how your journey um, how that came about um, towards stitch for good but before we do that I thought we would uh, just talk about some fun stuff um, first of all I love the jumper you're wearing can you tell me a little bit about the piece Thank that you're wearing you. today
1: yeah so um I would yeah I would normally have a piece of my own but it's a bit cold here in mudgy and sometimes the linen dresses and pants don't really cut it. So, um, I made this about a month ago and it's a business based in Melbourne called Cardi Gang, and they create DIY knitting kits. So it's a Merino wool, Australian Merino wool. And yeah, they sort of give you the pattern and, um, I think it was like nine balls of wool and show you how to knit knit it and little video tutorials. And so this is actually pretty much the second thing I've ever knitted. So, um, it's oh. so warm and comfortable for yeah they're really quite easy little designs there so yeah <laughs> well two things i absolutely love i love the fact that
0: it's actually an australian company that's actually done this uh locally uh number two i'm so impressed that it's actually uh, your early effort in actually starting <laughs> it i've got a longer history in knitting um and a I love is the fact that it's a hundred percent merino wool. You go to some of the mm. local, you know, mm. um, stores or haberdasheries, and ninety percent of what's actually on on the counter is um, acrylic, yeah, um, which yeah. isn't the most comfortable. So, um, you know, I, I just think this is a piece that you're actually going to have for a, for a long, long mm. time in your wardrobe. Yeah,
1: I, I actually. I, the reason I did it was because I do struggle to find jumpers that I like, like bright sort of colours and merino wool. So I thought, well, I'm just going to learn how to knit. <laughs> yeah. I was going to say these are all an Australian business based in Melbourne. Um, she creates these beaded 3D jewellery pieces with artisans in Colombia. Um, oh, Yeah, so beautiful. I met her through some of the markets that I do to promote my patterns.
0: Excellent. One of the things I wanted to also just open up the conversation about is given that you actually have a design background um, and I wanted to just share with some of the audience today, it actually takes time. You know, there is so much fast fashion and we see all these weekly uh, turnarounds of clothing. But the creation Mm. of clothing from fibre to patterns to making takes time. And I just wondered yeah. uh, whether you'd mind actually just sharing with us a little bit about, you know, what's involved and how long does it actually make, you know, take to make a garment?
1: Yeah, and I think a lot of um, consumers, um, maybe younger girls in particular who I'm promoting my business to, don't actually understand the how much time does go into creating a garment when you think of the design, pattern making, grading, fabric, whether that's developing the the fabric print or dyeing mm-hmm. it or things like that, cutting, making, finishing, shipping, like, and then, and then you see garments that are being sold for sort of 30, $50 and you think there's no way everyone's sort of getting paid properly there. Um, but yeah, it does, it is mm-hmm. very time consuming. And when you create a piece, like I make a lot of my own clothes. You appreciate how long it takes and you're going to make it and have it forever and it's fitting well and it's your style and, yeah. Absolutely.
0: And I, I think with something that you touched on is just the the unit cost of some of the clothing. There is no way that um, someone in that <laughs> supply chain is actually being shortchanged and unfortunately has, you know, you, you and I both know um, the predominant you know, sewers and makers in the industry uh, globally, 80% of them are actually women. And uh, sadly, you know, in in some cases, you know, subject to slave labor, below minimum wages, and and so on. So I I think it's something that a lot of consumers don't actually understand. And I understand that obviously that they, um, everyone is conscious in terms of budgets and utilities increasing and so on. But um, I think it's a a, a topic that we ne- do need to make more visible and transparent.
1: Yeah, and um, the, the, with this greenwashing that's happening lately, like a company will say it's sustainable or whatever, but then they're selling something for $30 and you have to ask the question, how is that sustainable? You can't just say it is like, you know, do they know? Have they been to the factories? Do they know where the fabric's coming from and um, yeah, you've really got to look into it. You can't believe a company just because they say they're sustainable or paying Abs- minimum wages <clears throat> and things like that.
0: Mm. It's a uh, it's a word that um, sadly versus back in 2017, and you and I had this conversation earlier. Back in 2017, that word wasn't as used as much, but now it's kind of at saturation point and um I, I think the best way to lead is by demonstration and actually, mm. you know, showing the ingredients list and the detail um, versus saying simply that, you know, you are sustain, you're sustainable.
1: So, yeah. Um, I, and everyone has to start somewhere. Um, mm. Yeah. You can't you just got to make a start and learn as you go. Absolutely. Cause it's a complex supply chain. Um, yeah,
0: very. In terms of materials and all of the provenance. So, um, I think it's just about starting the journey.
1: Mm, I love absolutely. the quote. I I can't think who the, who, the where the quote comes from, but it's, um, we need a million people doing zero waste, um, not effectively, rather than 1% doing it 100% well. An yeah. basic idea of it is, I can't yeah. think exactly what it is, yeah. now, but I'm sure you've heard that one.
0: Yeah, it's not
1: about perfection.
0: It's about starting and just building yeah, on, right. on what we're doing. I I totally, totally agree with you. Um, do you have some favourite items in your wardrobe? Um, and um, yeah, if you my... do, you know, what are some of the things that you like about them?
1: So I've got to say my favourite item, and I actually have two of these dresses, is um, one of my first patterns. I've got it here, the honeysuckle dress. This one. Oh, I love Um, that one. I made this dress. I made the first sample probably a year before I launched my business. So, probably, I think I made it about three years ago. And I wear it all the time in winter with some boots and a jacket. And I get so many compliments on the fit and the fabric. The fabric was um, from a place called Tasudi Fabrics in Surrey Hills, and it's a print linen. Um, And so many compliments on the fabric and the fit. And uh, it's lasted this long and it's going to last a lot longer so yeah that's definitely my favorite piece <laughs> but then i've always got the staple pieces like um denim jackets that i have for years and years before they end up with rips and you've repaired them and whatever so
0: yeah oh that's that's the an important thing um the
1: favorite <laughs>
0: um, some of our favorite pieces stay with us and get well worn over a period of time um you're a mender
1: um, do you like to extend I mean, the life of them yeah definitely once it depends what it is once you get a rip if it's something that you've had for 10 years it, it probably is still going to keep ripping but because the fabric just eventually wears thin and whatever but yes the jeans i'm wearing today i've had for years and years and i've just had to re- mend the um patch up the inseam a couple times and the denim jacket i did the same
0: <laughs> absolutely and they tell stories you know i i think um, certain garments that have been with us for for so long, you know, um, I think they have the ability. I, I don't know for me, also just even tr- trigger memories of when you wore them yeah. and experiences that you may have. And denim, in particular, I guess, as we both know, is probably as a as a fabric, it's so water intensive and in yeah. terms of actually creating. So the idea of actually being able to um, extend its life as long as possible. Um, you know, makes absolute you know sense. Mm. Mm, that's right. So tell me, um, different girls have different relationships with their mothers, but our yeah. mothers invariably, you know, and I've heard the story of, you know, when you're growing up or as a teenager, you're kind of thinking, oh, you know, mum did it that way, I'm going to do it differently, but we end up then using the same dishwashing liquid or the <laughs> or the same yeah. uh, laundry liquid and so on and it becomes our default and my sister and I often laugh about this as well in terms of <laughs> uh things that we end up just adopting um yeah. my sister at the moment if I can actually just do a share is um she was never much of a wine drinker and all she drinks now is the same wine as mum always used to drink <laughs> and okay. <I> know, <laughs> which is quite funny actually but um Tell me about your relationship with your mum, and you know, was she your style? Did your did her style influence you and and your relationship with clothing?
1: Um, it's funny. I always thought it didn't, but now um, I'm thirty two, and we when mum's here, she and we go out somewhere, sort of just casual clothes. We're almost wearing exactly the same thing, and I think, <laughs> oh God, how did that happen? But um, yeah, I think. Sort of basic everyday wear, we do. I do have her style somehow, I don't know how that happened. Um, but in ter- we we, um, I grew up on the farm, so we just had sort of you know jeans and shirts we'd wear. And but in terms of if I go out in the evening or a bit dressed up, mum wasn't really much of a showy person, so mm. I think I took that on myself. And um, she doesn't wear much makeup and showy earrings and things like that. So in terms of that, um, yeah, I didn't really pick that up from her, I wouldn't say. I sort of developed that love for style, style and fashion on my own. But yeah, I just we still seem to end up wearing mm-hmm. the same thing just on a day to day basis. Um but yeah, mum actually taught me to sew. Um I used to sew Barbie doll dresses and things like that. Oh, when I, I love it. First started. Um yeah and she taught me how to sew with the commercial patterns. I just remember we used to, we're both strong women, I guess, and we used to end up, well, I was a girl then, but um, we used to end up in a few arguments and things over the tissue paper and commercial pattern. And I think that's probably when I started to do it on my own. But um, yeah, mum was actually the one that uh, her friend told her about the applied fashion design and technology course in Newcastle. Mm -hmm. which I studied the first year after I finished school. So, yeah, she sort of recommended that I go and give that a go because she knew how much I loved sewing and creating my own clothes.
0: Mm. My mother taught me how to sew as well, and it was on the – original singers you know one of those vintage singer sewing machines that's that had Mm -hmm. been in the family with the actual pedal which you know the vintage style which i absolutely love and i had it in my home for many years just even has a um an entry uh hallway stand uh because they're such beautiful the cabinetry they were just such beautiful you know pieces pieces to actually have so tell me um was your mother a mender? You know, did she value clothes um, and um, encourage you to value clothing?
1: Definitely valued clothes. And I, I can't, I'm trying to think, I can't really remember mending too much, but I'm sure I'm sure we did. But always things like we didn't use the dryer because that obviously um, mm. deteriorates clothing a lot quicker. We put everything on the clothesline or out on the clothes horse in front of the fire because that. that's, I think, I feel like that's the main thing that will damage a garment is that roughness in the in the dryer. So yeah. No, absolutely. And, and there's when nothing you were like this sewing sorry. machine. Um I learned on the husk uh, old Husqvarna sewing machine and it is yes. still the best domestic sewing machine I yes. have ever used. <laughs> it is just a little
0: bit I think, and i a little bit of a doing some research the other day, and. A, a man invented the sewing machine over 150 years ago. And I, I think when we actually look at it, beyond it transitioning to electrical, being powered electrically and having a few more, you know, automated different types of stitches, the core functionality over that period has really not changed, has mm. it? It's it's one of the, it's you know, they're, they're a little investment piece and a tool that actually I think just keeps on giving, <laughs>
1: Yeah, well, it's still going now, the sewing with the Husqvarna. I'm delighted
0: to to hear that. Um, So I'd love to actually learn a little bit about you were talking about you actually went to um, study fashion design um, and you spent some time in the industry commercially before you ventured out on your own.
1: Yeah, so I grew up in a small town called Gloucester. I think that was about... 3,000 people or so there Um, and then first year out of school I went to Newcastle, TAFE and studied Applied Fashion Design Technology for two years I think it was to get my diploma. Um, I had a year off, I just moved back home to Gloucester and Mm -hmm. did some farm living again and um, then I did my advanced diploma at Ultimo TAFE in Sydney. Mm -hmm. After that I knew I didn't wanna live in Sydney. I gave it a go and it just wasn't for me, um, which is typical of a country girl, I guess. Uh, so I got a job in Newcastle for a company called Sicily Clothing and they make fire retardant mm-hmm. flight suits, custom made. So uh, yeah, I, I did a bit of work in the factory there and then with the pattern maker in cutter, cutter uh, I did a lot of the pattern alterations from the m- pilot measurements we'd get sent um, yeah, and then after I met my partner who's from Mudgee sort of when I was living in Newcastle and even Newcastle isn't a big city but I wanted to move back to the country and he's from mm-hmm. Mudgee so I thought this is perfect, my way out of the city. So, yeah, I moved to Mudgee and um, that was seven years ago. So, in the past seven years, I've always had part-time jobs in other aspects, admin and things but... Um, yeah, I had a custom dressmaking business followed by a fashion label, but I've always made my own clothes and things like that. Mm. So, I guess I'm getting into the story of how Stitch for Good started now. So, I'll no, just absolutely. continue. Yeah, um, please do. And yeah, it was, I think it was during COVID, um, the thick of COVID, I was a close contact and everyone was so terrified back then. I had 14 days isolation, even though I never had it. And, and now it's like everywhere. You, Anyway, um, so that in that period of two weeks where I was at home, I sort of really thought about what I loved about making a garment and knew I wanted to do something else apart from the fashion label. Um, yeah. And I love the feeling of when people say, oh, I love that dress. And you can say, oh, thank you. I made it. And a lot of people compliment me on what I'm wearing. And I I can say, "Thanks, I made it. And they're so impressed with that. And I think I'd love more people to be able to do that and learn yes. how to sew and have modern sewing patterns that are size inclusive, which I'm slowly um, extending my size range and things like that. And well, uh, good fabrics and well-fitting, unique mm-hmm. designs. Yeah. So that's how Stitch for Good All came about.
0: Thank you for sharing, Annie. Can I ask you, um, in terms of um, the fashion industry today and everything that's happening in it, um, what do you think is probably one of the the biggest challenges for women, even just trying to find clothing?
1: Um, It's been a long time since I've shopped, really. I just make a lot of my own things. But I guess I I Uh, do. Do your girlfriends uh, have girlfriends
0: shared with you some of their challenges, perhaps?
1: Um, well, yeah, I think that the prices are the main thing with this fast fashion thing, you see something that's so affordable and you're, and they're obviously drawn to that because things are hard at the moment and, and whatever. Um, and there's so many choices there with these affordable Mm -hmm. clothing pieces and it's, it's not going to be at the front of everyone's mind about how it was made and what it's made out of and things like that so i think there's just so much um i i don't know what the word is but um options way of fast fashion. absolutely um, i think it,
0: there there is this um I, I feel that there is almost this this full sea of clothing surrounding us but when sometimes you try to actually find some of the most basic pieces it's like trying to find a needle in a haystack uh which is kind yeah. of i, I- ironic Um, And one of the things I think um, you touched on, which I was delighted to hear, is just size inclusion. And, you know, our body, and and you probably know this better than I, um, I believe standard sizing, you know, was introduced back in the 70s and standard sizes um, sizing um, hasn't actually changed over the last 50 years and then we had brands deviate from those standard sizing. Um, So I think it becomes very... Um, a little bit almost intimidating for women even just walking into mm. um, dressing rooms and, you know, uh, trying to find their sizes and thinking they're one but, you know, and in, in this shop next door there might be a different different size. So mm. I think it's sometimes perhaps a little bit confronting for
1: them. Sizing is honestly one of the hardest things I struggle with, even with my pattern making, because mm-hmm. there isn't standard sizing in Australia. Mm -hmm. um i mean to start with i took a few brands that i like and sort of averaged out what i could use as a size chart because they they vary so much yes um it is very hard so i've started which a lot of other independent pattern makers do actually writing down the finished measurements of the garments because yes you say that a pair of pants the hip is um 95 or 100 whatever um but you've obviously got ease for that style. So then it would actually fit a bigger size. It is very complicated and I don't have an answer. It's it's very hard. But I,
0: I find that also what I find a little bit sad, um, you know, women's sizes and shapes over time have evolved and the average size of a women in, in developed countries uh, today is around a size 16. So whether you're in the UK, Europe, US or here, And there's so many fashion labels that actually stop their sizing at, you know, 12, 14 if you're you're lucky, which basically, which Mm. I find and I understand some of the the reasons behind that because it obviously is expensive to grade all Mm. of these sizes and then to invest in in the manufacture of them. But what it's doing is also just, you know, almost excluding 50% of females from having access Mm. to um you know
1: clothing um that's yeah that's right um I when I my first six patterns are eight to a 16 and that is because I started with a small budget and so I had a size 10 mannequin and to get an accurate fit I didn't want to extend the sizes within three or four sizes of that size 10 Mm -hmm. without testing them properly so that was a starting point but I've now purchased a larger mannequins so i can extend the sizes um but yeah everyone does have to start somewhere so i think a lot of um people are quite harsh on brands that aren't size inclusive but as long as they're working towards it i think it's yes yeah
0: so any another question i'd love to get your opinion on is just about the whole narrative around fashion and the what the media outlets are saying and the role of social media. You know, sometimes when I am even just have different news feeds popping up, it's usually a female, doesn't this female look fantastic in her bikini, uh, or it's just this volumes of volumes of women just showing off different clothing. What are your thoughts about everything that's happening in terms of the narrative of women and clothing given social media and the media in general?
1: Social media is so challenging. It it can be the best thing, but also the worst thing. There's a lot of um, more uh, body positivity happening with social media and you see different sized women and whatever promoting things, but they're often fast fashion brands that they're still promoting like, um, I probably shouldn't name names, but things like Sheen or Target or whatever. And they're just trying on bulk, 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 different clothes. And the women are getting sucked, sucked in from that, um, from the social media. So, you know, things like the, they're promoting fast fashion, but then they're promoting body positivity and things like that. It, It is very hard. And then it's great for small businesses like mine and yours to promote ourselves on, on the platforms. But then there's, it's just flooded with, yeah, girls trying on all <clears throat>
0: their slow clothes. fashion, slow fashion, and just volume of clothing is just flooding social media. One of the context, and you know, influencers haven't helped that either, uh, because it's all about more and more consumption, um, yeah. and I, I think that is potentially uh, looking to change as well because. Um, you know, how authentic are the influences if if they're actually being paid to do it versus, you know, authentically promoting something, um, mm. you know, that they value.
1: No, I think they're, yeah, trying to keep up with trends because they see it on the social media, but you, you don't have to, you just have to find your unique style and find a few pieces that you love and you're going to wear forever. And you think about that one piece that you've been eyeing off forever uh, might be like, six to a thousand dollars or whatever and you might be scared off that but then you think you buy that and you're going to have it forever so you buy something that's fifty dollars and you're only going to wear it for a season and then it it will be in the bin um one thing I've noticed on social media lately with these um like Taylor Swift concerts and Harry Styles and things like that yes but these young girls are creating their own outfits which i think is awesome they're they're sort of using that as a creative outlet but then again you think uh, they're probably only going to wear that for the one time and they've probably got plastic sequins and things like that so it is a hard balance there isn't it
0: absolutely And we we haven't even touched on plastics and microplastics which is probably another conversation unto itself but um i think one of the things that um a metric that you know needs to be considered is just looking at, yes, it might be cheap, but what is the cost cost per wear? Yeah, um, that's right. There is, there is no return on that investment. Yes, um, you buy it today for a very low price, but, you know, next week you're buying something else and it's, you know, going the other piece is going to landfill or a, or a charity
1: store. Mm. Yeah, that's right.
0: <laughs> so I don't think um, it's doing... Um, Doing the right things for women's financial prosperity longer longer term, um, and I think it's almost as though everyone's just caught up in this um, frenzy and this rat, rat race, rat race of just consumption, consumption, and that's how the 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 fast fashion industries and the media and all the advertising is, um, you know, just creating this spin wheel that just yeah. has no end.
1: Mm. I um I don't often. Have a lot of things to donate because I value what I purchase and rewear and keep them, but I have heard that even the local vinnies and things like that aren't accepting more donations because they've got too much, and that's just <clears throat> crazy to think
0: no absolutely, and that's so true um the charity stores end up sending a lot of theirs. To developing countries, which, as you know, a lot of that's going straight to landfill because just the sheer Mm. the volume and the sheer the quality has deteriorated, um, and you can't reuse it. So, I think once upon a time people thought that they were doing the right thing in terms of doing donating, but we're so beyond. um, uh, You know, charity shops are so beyond um having any further capacity to absorb that. Uh, and I'll just yeah. tell you my personal experience. I used to work for um uh, um a charity organization called Dress for Success. Um and um the organization foundation was set up to actually help women uh re-enter the workforce and we would outfit them through donated clothing. Um so and we had the same problem. Um, we just had too much, so we would actually have mm-hmm. to try to even the donated clothing that was received. Some of it we would have to just take to the Curability markets, um, just to offload it because uh, there is just too much in circulation. And when you when you hear about you know over a hundred, well. Depending on what you read, the numbers are usually a little bit different. But if we're producing in excess of 100 billion pieces of clothing every single year um, and we only have a population of 8 billion, um, it has to go somewhere. It's just crazy. Um, And that's why for us I think part of the solution at the outset has to be about just um, this on-demand model um and just creating clothing made to order as and when and how women actually need them.
1: Mm, yeah. And then they'll value it and have it for the Absolutely. Years to come.
0: And if we get the fit right uh from the outset, um, which is, you know, part of the issue sometimes that, you know, women buy things um because they don't fit uh as they would, or sometimes they buy them and then there's the extra layer of cost of alterations um as well. Mm. Mm. But the industry has so much opportunity, as you and I both know. Mm. Mm.
1: Yeah, and even with um, fabric technologies, using natural fibres as opposed to synthetic because that's just plastic and it's not going to break down if it does end up in landfill. No, and,
0: you know, once again, all of that, (laughs) those insights are just starting to surface and starting to be validated by different research uh, universities and research foundations um, but, you know, I think it's it's only now people are starting to connect the dots, um, you know, post-COVID and really getting more awareness around the plastic problem. Mm. But I think they're really starting to realise now, my gosh, our man-made fibres are actually created. It's a chemical process mm. derived from fossil fuels. Um, and not only is it a um, finite resource, um it takes hundreds and hundreds of years to biodegrade um but it also mm. when it gets wet it leaches all these microplastics into our waterways and into our into our bodies and our researchers have already found microplastics um in um in our bodies and bloodstreams as well as fetuses mm. which is which is frightening um it and is, we know yeah. um our skin is our largest living organ you know, we know that our skin mm-hmm. is porous. You know, we put cream on it, it absorbs. So mm-hmm. we know that those fi- those microplastics are actually being absorbed by our skin. Um, and I think um, environment is one thing, but I think this conversation around the Im- impact um, of the clothing um, that we're actually putting on our bodies and the wellness uh, impact on our bodies we know that you know Australians in particular kids have terrible eczema problems mm. uh, you know the school uniforms are made of polyester they don't breathe, and they're predominantly wearing that for large parts of the day for you know a very long time during their entire yeah. school life um so I think some of these things and one thing is natural fibers, and as you know there was an um Article more recently had come out in Harvard University. It also undertaken undertaken a study where um, a number of the airline uniforms in the U.S. and across a number of different um, branded airlines, um, they had a whole uh, a, a big number of um, flight attendants becoming very ill once they actually changed their uniforms and mm. it's not just the fact that they were synthetic but it as you know given where given where you had worked um um is sometimes those layers are those fabrics are also then layered with other toxins and chemical processes um in terms of uh you know so they don't wrinkle and mm. Um, or, you know, fire retardant, whatever the case may be. Nice to share with any women who are interested in actually going into fashion design um, and starting out, given today's context.
1: Um, yeah, I mean, it is a very hard industry, but I, I guess one thing I'd say is, which I have done, is find what you're passionate about and what you mm-hmm. love the most about creating a garment or a piece of fashion. For me, it was pattern making. I have a bit of a technical mind, that sort of thing. So that's why I'm creating the patterns. But if you love sort of the fabrics and the te- the textiles art behind fabrics or developing a fabric, you know, there's so many different niche markets you can get mm. into. And you've but you've just got to be passionate about what you're doing. Oh, I totally agree with you. Do you do you find the market very competitive given all of the big players? definitely for fashion designers it, it, mm. it is very competitive and also you need such a large startup budget which i didn't have when i did my mm. fashion label i was sewing everything and just selling at the local markets and then coming home and sewing and selling and mm. um w- yeah which is another reason i wanted to do the patterns i love besides i love it more and um, i think i can do a better job at providing patterns rather than garments Mm. for people um yeah it is it is competitive and hard but if you love it and you're passionate about it you can find your uh, gap in the market and just work towards it
0: no I totally agree with you I think um life is too long and we spend too many hours working if we're not actually passionate about (laughs) what we're doing so I think it's all about finding your joy and and there is as you as you've correctly said i think there are so many aspects whether it's fabric design or, or textile design or pattern and you know de, um doing designs and pattern making um to you know the the actual uh, making of the finished um uh, finished product um yeah. absolutely so i i think what i'm excited to actually see i know that there is so much disruption disruption in the industry but the thing that i'm actually excited about there is um a whole new generation of young women um wanting to have a more more of a connection with their garments and seeing mm. um younger women actually you know such as yourself actually um starting up and designing for other women and also just seeing you know um you know the brands that you've actually even talked about today so um, and to see, um, you know, women in their twenties, uh, you know, pick up crocheting needles and pick mm-hmm. up knitting needles. I feel as though it was it almost skipped a generation, and it was also almost seemed to be um, not the in thing to do because it was something that your your mothers have done. And one of the most joyous things that I had seen it was during the Olympics. Um, when was that last year? the year before i can't even remember now there was a a uk swimmer i believe he was and he was an avid knitter and during his swim his swim um in between his you know swimming um uh not his trials but the actual uh competition you'd see him up on the stands knitting because a lot of people have also returned to it because it's such a you know a calming and mindful thing to do in it's know. almost like a meditation <laughs> i sitting totally agree in. with you so yes. i i
1: think there is joy in creation do you agree any i definitely agree when i was actually i had the bad flu that's going around a mm-hmm. couple months ago and i i'm not i'm not good at staying still and sitting in bed so this is actually when i finished probably 70 percent of the jumper was in bed trying to recover from the (laughs) flu just knitting (laughs) well it's a much Um, better thing to
0: do rather than being on the screen Uh... and you actually have something that you've completed afterwards
1: Mm. yeah there there definitely is um so much joy in creation and also with so many problems now with mental health and things like that i Mm. think it's such a it's such a great creative outlet to be able to design and make your own clothes and show it off and people say oh i love that thanks i made it um so yeah definitely worth trying if anyone's struggling with mental health and that sort of thing is some sort of creative outlet whether it's sewing or knitting or hat making whatever
0: absolutely and what i love about it, it it is something i think that is accessible in terms of just even the cost of actually just buying or going to a haberdashery or you know somewhere like spotlight and just even Getting some needles, a piece of yarn, you know, it, it could be a cheap piece of yarn in, you know, and even just playing playing with it, I, I think, just mm. to um, get a sense. So it's not a, a huge investment, um, but it just gives you an you know, opportunity to trial to see if it's something that you might enjoy. I yeah, I've read have, an article which I I love the heading. It, was a, um, it basically said, consumption takes, creation gives. Yeah, I like that. (laughs) And I think it just summed it up, you know, um, just beautifully. So, as I said, I'm just delighted to see this new generation of uh, young women actually taking up sewing uh, and so on. So, I think it's great. Well, Annie, thank you so much for joining us uh, today. Um, We're absolutely delighted uh, to have you also part of our Simple Chic um, community uh so that um you know customers can actually come over and you know buy some of your beautiful patterns and actually make them uh, themselves and i feel that you have very much um i think all of the garments that um in your collection that you have uh created i just think um they're so body positive uh in terms of their uh appeal they have this also this beautiful especially the honeysuckle dress and top I just love them because they've just got this fun femininity to it um, and I think they're just timeless pieces that I think more women should actually have in their in their wardrobe
1: yeah that's definitely what I'm aiming at timeless pieces so that they last forever and you can remake them and um, yeah
0: and um, I can't tell anything anyone anything yet but I know that you are working on other things in the future so perhaps as they um you know start to take form and shape um we can actually have another conversation with you um so you can actually share um how you're evolving your brand going forward
1: yeah I'm so excited about all the things I've got planned it's just um finding the time and (laughs) resources to get it all done but I'll get there and I'm excited about it so No, absolutely. Well,
0: thank you for joining us today.